Welcome to the Draft Nut Podcast. My name is Jared Feinberg. Alongside me is Devin Jackson, and we are your hosts today for this lovely Wednesday evening, afternoon, or Thursday morning, whenever you're, whenever you're listening to this. Um, right now, outside here in Ashland, it's pouring. It's a lovely, lovely day. I'm loving it. Devin, how's your day going, my man? Not too bad, man. It's been been a little busy uh, for the most part, but uh, it's going pretty well. You know, uh, it's here, sunny here. Uh, thankfully, it rained a little bit yesterday, but, uh, you know, just busy day at work, but uh, ready to talk some football, man. Same here, man. Um, we had some big news come out over the last couple of days or yesterday, in fact. Uh, Minnesota wide receiver Rashad Bateman, who is considered one of the best wide receiver prospects in the entire 21 draft class has opt out for the upcoming college football season and will begin preparing for the 2021 NFL draft along with his announcement. Micah part, it was um, announced late last night that Micah Parsons is expected to opt out from um, for the 2020 season and prepare for the 2021 draft as well. Um, the Penn State linebacker is considered one of the best defensive prospects in the entire um, 2021 draft class. So, Devin, what are your thoughts on Rashad Bateman and Micah Parsons? What did they bring to the table? And how would – is their draft stock going to be affected at all? Um, because in my opinion, I think both of them are easily top 50 picks just from what I've seen on tape, their production. Um just want to know your thoughts. Uh, I think both are first round locks in my opinion. Well, not locks necessarily, but I think they're both first round talents. Uh, I don't think that their draft stock gets hurt at all, really. Um, you look at Rashad Bateman. Uh, we talked a little bit about him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, just how physical he is at the line of scrimmage, how he, uh, his, how crisp his routes are run. Uh, he can catch. Uh, the ball over the field has a really nice catch radius. Uh, doesn't have necessarily breakaway speed, but he has the ability to get yak. Uh, and, and, you know, kind of, kind of a, a mix in my opinion. You know, you got, you got the route running and size, kind of Michael Thomas. Uh, seeing that, you know, people have compared him like Cortland Sutton, Sutton, uh, things along those lines. So he, he's a really, really talented receiver. Um, that's going to be highly sought after. Uh, right now, I have him as receiver three uh, behind uh, Chase and Rondell Moore. But uh, Bateman can easily be wide receiver one, could be wide receiver two. This is a, a really, really talented class. But I think that he's a first-round talent. I don't think him sitting out will hurt his stock any, really. Uh, and then you look at Micah Parsons. He is uh, a fantastic athlete, uh, someone that came into Penn State uh, initially as a pass rusher, defensive end. Um, but now he... Uh, still learning the linebacker position, in my opinion, but teams are going to love his athleticism, his, his ability to make plays. And he's doing this a lot of not even making reads just based on off of instincts. Uh, so it's something he's going to have to clean up. Unfortunately, we won't get him to see him clean up that this, uh, off season or, or this, uh, upcoming season should he decide to opt out. But, uh, he's extremely talented, and I think that any team that gets either of these guys are going to get a, a really uh, a really good prospect that 
uh, will obviously need more development. They won't, they won't get that college football season that some of these other prospects will, but I think for the most part, um, he, they're both going to be, uh, probably first round picks. I agree. And to bring up your point about how Micah Parsons is still learning the linebacker position, he, by, by most consensus of draft Twitter, draft, draft analysts from the draft network and some of the big name analysts out there, like he is still one of the best defensive prospects and yet he's still in a way raw, but he plays the position so well. And another thing that he adds is pass rush ability, which you don't see a lot from a Mike linebacker. Um, and, when you look at Parsons' tape, it's phenomenal. And yet, you still see, like, he's just going off instincts. And his instincts are really good. But he doesn't have, like, the smart. I wouldn't say the smarts. It's just that sometimes he he's more of a read and react guy and is going solely off his instincts there's nothing wrong with that but he needs to be a much smarter football player and like you said and like we said he's still learning the position but my goodness he is still one of the best players in this entire draft he's currently my third overall prospect on my draft board which is still in development as i continue to watch the 2021 draft class and with rashad bateman um, he is currently my receiver too right behind jamar chase um, I really like that Michael Thomas comp that you brought up. Um, route running ability. He's very sun with his routes. Um, very physical with his releases and, um, and at the line of scrimmage. Um, his ball skills are really good. Like, there's so much to like about Bateman. Um, I think, I don't think there are really any concerns about Bate- Bateman coming out, honestly. Like, yeah, he, I'm, in, in a way, he has like a, complete game but not in that sense it's just like you don't see a lot of negatives that need to be like that are glaring off the off the off the tape um but you know analysts are going to try to nitpick um every little bad thing you know it i mean that's just the way the draft process is you know yeah yeah exactly and i was gonna kind of add on to that uh you know, a lot of draft Twitter last year were paying attention to Bateman over Tyler Johnson. And, you know, Tyler Johnson went into, uh, you know, heading into the 2019 season as someone that could potentially be first round, uh, someone that could, could really break out for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. But it was Rashad Bateman instead uh, that really uh, captivated us whenever you're watching film on Tyler Johnson. Uh, so he's someone that a lot of uh, scouts have been keeping an eye on since his breakout season last year. And I think that he, he's done quite enough to, to have that first round status. Absolutely, man. You know, when, like, when you look at overall, like an overall draft board, easily Micah Parsons is the better player overall. He has the better potential upside. Bateman, I think he could be a true receiver one in an NFL offense. He could be that true number one wide receiver. Um, and, you know, like I said, like analysts, uh, fans are going to try and nitpick like the little things that he does wrong. But like, you know, 
when just watching both of their tapes, they played the position so well. And with Parsons, he's still learning the position, but he plays that position very well. Like, you know, I'm not really worried about their draft stocks because I think they're both first-round picks, and they should be first-round picks um, come next April. Um, but we'll we'll have to wait and see. You know, we could always see a big riser throughout the season like we've seen in the past. Um, I know if we'll see a prospect rise like Joe Burrow did last year, but we could see a prospect rise um, – in some sort of capacity, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, we'll have to wait and see what or who else could end up opting out for the 2020 season. Like we still don't know what Trevor Lawrence is going to do. Um, we don't know what, um, Penay, uh, is going to do. Um, we don't know what Dylan Moses is going to do. I assume Dylan Moses could, will probably end up, staying for the 2020 season, 2020 season because he missed all last year. And I I assume he's probably going to end up playing in order to get better tape out there or just an extra season of tape. And he's probably going to end up being in the senior bowl either way. So, all right, Devin, it's now time for our first guest of the podcast. And now I'd like to know here real quick, Eric Robinson of the Falcoholic. He was actually supposed to be our first guest of the podcast, but due to some things not being able to be worked out last week, um, he'll be our he'll be our guest for the next episode, which we hope to have out by either Friday or Saturday. So, without further ado, I would like to introduce you introduce to you guys our first or our first guest of the Draft Nut Podcast. He is one of the top Carolina Panthers analysts on Twitter, in my opinion, and is the co-host of the Roar Podcast on Blue Wired Podcasts. His name is John Ellis. John, it's good to have you on. How you doing, my man? Hey, guys. What's going on? I appreciate you having me on, and uh, glad to be the first guest, man. Hopefully I carry that torch well. We hope so, too, man. And, you know, you're... Your analysis on Panther um, players, coaches, the team as a whole, it, it's beyond terrific. And, guys, if you have not um, seen John's content, it's pretty, pretty good, guys. Um, you can go follow him at One Panther Place. And, John, I'm, first off, I want you to just tell us a little bit about yourself. What um, what do you do exactly um, or what have you done in the past that has brought you up to this point? Yeah, you know, about a year ago, in fact, it was a year ago this month, I started a website called One Panther Place, which is uh, we're doing a facelift right now. So, guys, you go there today, it's going to look a little choppy, but in about two or, two or three weeks, it's going to be uh, a little fresher and a little easier to navigate. Uh, we started that about a year ago, covered training camp down here in Spartanburg. Uh, of course, there's no camp this year here, and that's unfortunate, but uh, we got a good look at some of these players and they're not just the rookies of the, the Brian Burns, those guys, but, uh, a good look at Cam Newton's last camp and a really good opportunity to, at a field level to get some good photography, good videography, good, uh, reporting back in terms of how the camp was progressing. And, uh, it was looking really good before the injury to the foot, obviously to Cam Newton. So, uh, from that spawned, you know, sort of a Twitter presence where we, you know, grew into, 
uh, a bit of an analyst role. Uh, you know, we've been a guest on several shows out there, WFNZ shows. Uh, NBC Charlotte had us on their panel for a few things. And uh, we've just been blessed with an opportunity to grow this, you know, basically just an opportunity for my end to do a little film study into something that's growing a little bigger. So uh, Billy Marsh and I started a podcast, as you mentioned, thanks for the plug, uh, called The Roar on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, or at bluewirepods.com. Uh, but uh, just love the game of football. Uh, love the Panthers. Hope they have their act together this year because obviously it's a big transition year. A lot of things are different. A lot of things are um, changing. Some would say for the better. Some say would not for the better. Uh, we Time will only tell with that. But uh, eager to talk Panthers with you guys. Yeah, man, we're we're super excited to talk Panther football with you guys, me especially as a Carolina Panthers fan. Um, and you brought up or you mentioned um, briefly Cam Newton um, during your little intro. Um, I want to know your thoughts on the very, very talented quarterback that the both of us ha- are big fans of um, and just how everything went down with um, last year the offseason, and then signing with New England finally in June. Um, give us your thoughts on that whole situation that came about. Yeah, it was an interesting set of circumstances that led to his eventual release. Uh, you know, we, we went back to well, I think the December when the, the national narrative, at least from like guys like Ian Rappaport, was – Okay, look, Carolina is definitely interested in maybe trading him because they've got Will Greer, they've got Kyle Allen. Uh, Cam could yield them a bounty of picks. Those were Ian's words, not mine. And I, at the time, I wrote a story, and I just uh, kept telling folks who were following our content, look, uh, his the timing of this situation, this is before COVID, you know, just, just keep in mind, the timing of his injury plus the timing of the rehab led me to believe that, okay, you know what, the Teams have been suspect about Newton to begin with. I don't think the trade value is going to be that high. Um, he's got one year left on his deal, obviously. He had one year left on that deal, $19 million. And my hope for Panthers fans, and from a football perspective, because, you know, we're not rah-rah cheerleaders here. You know, Cam, to me, is a superior quarterback than Teddy Bridgewater. He's superior than, than many quarterbacks out there. And I felt he gave this team a chance with sustained success uh, in a new system, Joe Brady obviously could uh, help to enhance his skills, um, but it just wasn't meant to be. COVID hits. Uh, you see what happens next. The team, you know, in my view, holds on to Newton um, as, as some sort of leverage opportunity, whether they are, are sensing that there's some extra interest in Bridgewater, whom the Panthers were clearly interested in from day one because of the Joe Brady connection. Um or possibly trying to you know, use some to trade leverage at that point, which obviously had disappeared because everybody knew at that point you know, that he was pretty much uh, you know isolated from the team or from the ownership management. Um, you know, we'll never know the true story, honestly, behind the scenes. Uh, from a football perspective, I think it's way too early to give up on a 31-year-old quarterback who's uh, five years removed from an MVP award, 50 touchdowns, leading his team to 17 wins. Uh, doing it with substandard weapons on the perimeter. Uh, and finally, he gets the weapons he needs. He gets the Christian McCaffrey in year three. 
um, and a really competent offensive coordinator, it, it looks like, in Joe Brady. And I just thought the timing was unfortunate that they let him go then. And the messaging sucked. <laughs> it was clumsy. And it pissed a lot of fans off. And that's on the team. And they have to own that and swallow that. Uh, but as far as Teddy Bridgewater goes, I think he's got a great chance to succeed here with Joe Brady, with this system. Um, and, and both situations can be true. Cam was probably the better option for this team long term in terms of dynamic quarterbacking, in terms of the ability to, to do it all. But uh, sometimes, like I guess what I told people a while back, you just want who you want. And it was clear for me the day that Matt Rule was at the Combine and never committed to Cam being the starter, that's when I said it's over. There's no way he's coming back. Cam made his case. He, he wanted to be back here. He wanted to be back here. That's his side of the story. And Matt and Joe, they just never fully committed to Cam. Um, so to have him walk away at 31 with no trade compensation really stinks. But uh, moving forward, I think Carolina is still pretty well positioned for a run here. Uh, and I'm not just talking about for Trevor Lawrence. I think they can play competitive football in 2020. Yeah, I would agree with you, John. Uh, I, I do think the Panthers can play competitive football. Uh, me and um, Jared did uh, a schedule prediction, and I think that over the course of the season, I think towards the end of the season, you're going to really start to see uh, the Panthers start to gel, especially with no um, uh, a kind of a shortened training camp, no preseason games for Teddy Bridgewater to, to kind of get back into the fold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's two ways to look at that. You know, the, the prevailing thought is, oh, gosh, Carolina's got an entirely new staff, and it, most of them are college guys. And, you know, that's been my critique from day one on the Matt Rule hire was there's just so such little NFL experience on that staff. I'm more of an NFL guy. I'd love to see, like, a enemy come in and bring some of those Andy Reid pipeline guys with him. But if you're going to do the, the college route, yeah, obviously it's going to take time to learn and to grow. But on the other hand, 2020 is just going to be one big hot mess in terms of football. And you already see some guys opting out. You never know who's going to be next on that list. And I just think it's it to me, I'm not trying to, 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 to offend anybody here, but 2020 is going to be one big glorified scrimmage. That's how I look at it. You know, whoever wins the championship, there's no asterisk for me. I think it's totally legit, but it's going to feel like a scrimmage. It's going to feel rusty. It's going to feel rough around the edges. And I don't think there's any guarantees about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think it looks great on paper. I love their receiving core. But Tom Brady and Bruce Arians, I'm not willing to guarantee they're going to win 11 games with that. I'm just not. The defense is going to be great. I think uh, they'll, they'll be much improved in a lot of areas. But I'm not as sold on Tampa being unbeatable as many people are. And Atlanta's still very much a wild card. I think the Saints are still the clear favorites in that division. But to your point, um, I, I don't think Carolina's in a position right now to, to – <laughs> A lot of people are cheering for them to be the worst team, even Panthers fans. And I get where they're coming from because of the whole tank thing. But uh, you got too many good veteran players on that team to be tanking, man. It's just they're not going to put bad, bad film on tape, man. They're not going to be willing to do it. No, and um, Devin and I mentioned it um, on the previous podcast. Like, it is so hard to tank in the NFL. And I don't even think tanking exists. Miami last year, for example – they started off very sluggish, but they were competing because they had a lot of new players and they had a brand new coaching staff. And then they got better as the season went along. And I think in a way, and it's a little bit different because you're, because Matt Rule is bringing on a 
mostly a coaching staff from the college football level. But, you know, I feel like this is going to be a little bit like the Miami, um, like the Miami Dolphins. They're going to start out slow, but then they're going to start picking up the pace and they're, they're going to make some surprise wins. Like Miami had a surprise win against Philly last year. Um, you know, Carolina just, they have the talent to be very good. Um, well, not very good. I mean, like, very good on offense with the weapons they have, and they have potential on defense to grow and maybe one day becoming a um, top defense like they used to be. Um, and you mentioned um, Teddy Bridgewater um, a little bit ago, and I want I want to know your thoughts on Bridgewater, what he brings to the table, and if he could potentially be the Panthers franchise quarterback. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bridge, the franchise quarterback misnomer, you know, we they had this conversation on Twitter today and FNZ posted a Twitter poll. And, you know, my response to that was, yeah, he can be more than adequate. He can be more than adequate for five plus years, um, given his familiarity with Joe Brady, given his ability to play within structure, within the system. Uh, I do like a lot of what I saw on tape from him. Again, if you're looking for eye popping throws and, and the Cam Newton type of uh vertical stuff in his heyday you're not going to find that when you put on the tape with teddy but what you'll find is a lot of situational uh, situations where he managed the game extremely efficiently and did make some pretty good throws to the boundary now franchise quarterback you know that just depends you know is he russell wilson you know patrick mahomes no he's not he's not in that stratosphere i don't think he ever will be um he's had some time to prove that he had a catastrophic injury in 2016 he hasn't been a full-time starter since 2015. That's five years. That's when Cam Newton won his MVP. So people make a lot out of, oh, Cam hasn't been great in five years. You know what? Teddy hasn't been a starter in five years. He came in and stepped in nicely for the Saints, and I respect that. And I looked at that tape, and it was it was good. They protected him a lot, though. The running game, the defense, some of the six, seven-man protections that Sean Payton will run. Um, and I'm hoping Joe does some of that, too, you know, that he feeds McCaffrey. Uh, plays action off that, but also is smart enough not to go five-man protection, you know, 70, 80% of the time. I think as the play calling goes, so will Teddy Bridgewater. Can he be a franchise quarterback? I, you know, it, again, those are all semantics. I don't know what people want in terms of their franchise quarterback. Can he be a Garoppolo type? Can he be, you know, a Kirk Cousins? Yeah, I think he can be better than Kirk Cousins in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think you're getting him at a discount when you look at what Kirk makes. So, um, but will he be, you know, rushing for 60, 70 yards a game like Newton? No, he's not going to do that. He's not going to be a, a dual threat. Occasionally he can get you out of dodge with his feet, and uh, and that's great. But he plays extremely well within the structure. I can't emphasize that enough. And I think that's part of the reason they wanted him so bad in Carolina is this is a very rigid system, unlike what they've been willing to do with Cam over the years, is sort of compartmentalize that and work the system around him. It's a new day in Carolina, and Matt Rule's philosophy is we have a system, we have a philosophy, you must fit in with that or you're gone. And I think that's what uh, led them to pick up Bridgewater. Yeah, and I agree with you. You know, when when I'm on the Twitter timeline, like I'm always seeing um, like Panthers culture, that Twitter account, um, four, man, uh, four Man Rush, like those um, those two accounts, those two guys – um, they're hyping up Teddy Bridgewater to be hopefully the franchise quarterback. And as fans, 
you would believe like you would support your quarterback. You would say, hey, this guy's going to be the franchise quarterback. We're not going to think about losing this year. Um, and I, I love that kind of mindset. But in reality, can Teddy Bridgewater be a Kirk Cousins or a Jimmy Garoppolo? Like you said, like, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Is he going to be like one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL or one of the top five best quarterbacks in the NFL? Probably not. Um, Bridgewater, like you said, um, he's efficient. He's a great leader. Um, and he's accurate. He's a, he's a very smart football player. He rarely makes bad decisions. Um, based on the, uh, the 2019 tape I saw, uh, and you saw as well. And, you know, it, I, I've never understood the hate for Teddy Bridgewater from Panther fans, but I think just a little bit of that is from just fans being angry at the organization for sure, giving sure. Funk yeah. and, and <laughs> plus it's, it's Twitter too. It's you right. To I mean, that when you get out in the real world and you bust off the confi, you break, you break the chains that is Twitter and social media, you talk to people and it's not quite as amplified, but I right. totally get that. I mean, look, it's, it's like having a, a <laughs> to somebody mentioned to me, I think it's my brother. It's like having a new daddy in the house. You know, people have looked at Cam, <laughs> a lot of the younger fans have looked at Cam as, as sort of a father figure of this, right. of this franchise as a leader, as the guy who's carried this team through thick and thin. And all of a sudden you got this new dude here, Teddy, and you're just not comfortable yet. And I think that's sort of a, uh, a fan's perverse way of looking at it. And that's why I'm glad I'm not in that world anymore. Of I live and die with everything this team does. I, I learned to step back and say, okay, let's try to be rational here. You know, how the team treated Cam has nothing to do with Teddy Bridgewater. And what Bridgewater brings to the table is entirely different than Newton. Uh, there are things that Teddy can do. Um, that fit this system to a T. Is Cam the superior quarterback as a complete package? Of course he is. Cam is a top seven, eight, nine quarterback when completely healthy. Maybe even more than that if he can rejuvenate with uh, Josh McDaniels. But Bridgewater's middle tier. He's upper middle tier. But he's certainly not a guy you should cheer against. And in your circumstances, he's one of the better stories in the league. Came back from an awful injury. Is a decent duty. Hell, even Cam Luton loves the guy you've seen on Instagram. So, um, I totally get that. You know, fans are going to be fans. I think here's one thing I'll say. I've been through this rebuild twice now with, with Carolina, 2001, 2010. Winning solves everything. You start winning games and a whole new breed of fans. I, I don't know if it's going to be the Newton people. I don't know if it's going to be just Panthers fans in general. You know, you have a certain segment of fans that are very loyal to one player and they're, they're buying Pat's jerseys and that's great and that's cute. But the minute Carolina – start putting together wins and it will happen because eventually in the NFL, the tide always turns. They'll be back. They're always yeah. back. I mean, unless you're the Miami Dolphins and you're just average for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> like that, like, it, it very, very rarely does a team. And I hate to say it's very rarely does a team sink to the depths of being non-playoff contenders for two decades, Cleveland, you know, you could say Miami's in that boat. But I, I think Carolina, with their core, has an opportunity to rejuvenate. But that that's still to be answered. I mean, you know, I, I'll say yeah. this. New owner, David Tepper, this is year three now. And new owners have had a hard go of it lately. I mean, every time you see a team with new ownership, the, their first high, the, the Browns come to mind. I mean, how, many, how many 
analytics people have they gone through? How many GMs? How many coaches? How many quarterbacks they've drafted in the first round since Haslam's? I think it's three or four. So there's no guarantees that any of this is going to work. I'm still very skeptical. But I'm right. saying from a, from a philosophical perspective, if the wins come, if the team becomes a contender, a lot of this will get forgotten. It always does. And Cam will go on and do what he does. And I, I'm intrigued to watch him more than anybody in New England. Now, am I a New England fan for that? No, I'm not a fan at all. I'm just an analyst. But fans will, will stay loyal to wins. When the team wins, they'll be there. Yeah. They've got to yeah. win, though. They've got to start right. winning. Right, exactly. And, you know, I'm hoping Cam Newton is very successful in New England. I, I hope he wins a Super Bowl or two in New England, which, as a Cam Newton fan myself, would be absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And I hope in a few years, Carolina is back to being a playoff contender with either T- Teddy Bridgewater or a new young franchise quarterback. This division's, um, this division's an old division. I mean, they're getting yes. – the timetable it, it, is now – if you're going to make the argument for rebuilding or whatever it is they're referring to, I've heard Marty said something yesterday. He used a new word. This is like the fifth time they've revised their retooling, rebuilding structure. Um but whatever you want to call it, what they're doing here, tearing it down, building it back up, time doesn't suck for it because you're going to look at the Brady eventually. You know, we've seen him wear down here lately. Uh, Drew Brees can't play forever. He's not throwing the deep ball anymore. Uh, Matt Ryan's not getting any younger. You know, they got Todd Gurley on a short-term deal. Uh, Dan Quinn's on thin ice. I mean, yeah, it's not exactly a division that is built for sustained success right now. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I, you, you, you okay. yeah, I was gonna say you, uh, you talk about, uh, you know, kind of a lot of the, uh, staple guys in, in the NFC South, you know, in a few years, it's gonna be kind of a, a completely, uh, completely new division. Like you said, Drew yeah. Brees is on probably pretty much the end of his career. Matt Ryan is entering that stage. And for lo- the longest time, you had the staples of Cam Newton, Drew Brees, and Matt Ryan that, you know, pretty yeah. much through the 2010s have been the starting quarterback. Uh, yeah. but now kind of transitioning into that, uh, to talk about some of the, you, you mentioned some of the younger guys that the Panthers have on the team. Uh, what are your, kind of your expectations for some of the rookies? Uh, they, they drafted Yita Gross Matos. Uh, they, they went mainly defensive in this draft. What, what are you expecting from some of those guys? Yeah, I, I love what I see. You know, defensively, they had the, they had to build young. I mean, you saw what they did last year was the Renaissance defense and good players. They, they rented a defense. They had Gerald McCoy, Bruce Irvin, uh, some of these veteran Eric Reed, unfortunately, who I thought was a, a very good, strong safety is now on the market. And, you know, now they're starting from scratch. So, you know, as far as let's start with Derek Brown, you know, that there's a lot of back and forth during the, the draft process. My, you know, my friend Billy and I, who I do my pod with, you know, he was very adamant that, you know, the, the testing at the combine for Brown was not uh, not impressive. It was a three cone shuttle, some of the athletic testing, and uh, in many people's view, that would have dropped his stock. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately for some, unfortunately for many, he was ended up taken by Carolina there at seven. But uh, I like that pick. I think he, beside KK Short, if he's healthy, is very dynamic. You get Brian Burns back, who's now put on 15 pounds. Just said today on his Zoom press conference that that's very impressive because he had to go through an injury situation last year. He could not work out, and he lost some weight. And now he's bulking back up, and he's with a staff who presumably won't be playing him at Gunner. So that's good. Um, you've still got Gross Matos, who you talked about, at edge there. And I think that's a great value pick there from Penn State. 
And Jeremy Chin, we've talked about him quite a bit on our podcast and, and on the, uh, the old bird app there. I think what Phil Snow wants to do is multiple safeties, you know, the three safety look. And I think Chin is a great, great fit for that because he's got some Isaiah Simmons traits where he can cover, he can blitz, he can rush the passer, he can play the run. And I think that's a tremendous value pick as well. And some of these guys in the later rounds, Detroit Proud, he's a Troy Pride, he's a Greer product right down the road from me here. Pulling for that guy, corner, because I think he had a great senior bowl and has put on some good tape uh, at Notre Dame. I'm really hoping he can solidify himself in that rotation. You get later in the round there, you got like a Kenny Robinson, uh, Stan Oliver Thomas. These are guys that, you know, you're, you're hoping can make the team. But it's, it's rare that all seven guys end up as key contributors to year one. And I think we got to kind of get ourselves grounded again and understand, you know, all defensive draft, we're all excited. All these guys can come right in and, and, and make an immediate impact. And, you know, it's not common that all seven picks in a draft make a year one impact, at least not as a starter. So some of these guys will be special teams guys. Uh, I think Brown is a great pick. And uh, I think Chen is a guy to look for as a potential sleeper in terms of long-term Pro Bowl caliber talent. When I was evaluating Derek Brown during the whole draft process, I thought him and Javon Kenlaw were very even as prospects. You know, both of them had their own unique features and their own um, different types of game or skill sets. Um, But both made a terrific impact on the field. And honestly, I kept saying throughout throughout the draft process, like you can't go wrong with the seventh overall pick. You go with either Derek Brown, Javon Kenlaw, uh, Isaiah Simmons, or a corner like CJ Anderson. Like, you know, you couldn't go wrong with the pick. And I love the Derek Brown pick. I also really like the Udo Grossmanos pick. Um, he, he's still got some developing um, to do as a pass rusher with, uh, but he's got great tools. Um, and he's, He's got the potential to be a good pass rusher. Same with Jeremy Chin. He he has the potential to be a very versatile safety. And not a lot of people realize this. He can be what he's he was basically we were basically taking Isaiah Simmons in the second round because Chin had that skill set. He can play in the box, mm-hmm. play um as a linebacker because of his size, and he has the athleticism to play um strong or deep safety if he wanted to heck like you could play in my corner if you could i mean he has the athleticism fluidity to do so um troy pride was a good pick i really liked him and like you said he had a a really good senior bull um kenny robinson was a underrated pick um from the xfl and uh west virginia and speaking of shout out to the xfl and dwayne johnson um and also, um, Ravan Roy, I believe I said his name right. Um, he was a good nose tackle pick, um, in the back end of the draft. Um, and then Stanley Thomas Oliver, um, I'm not sure what type of impact he'll, he'll have. I assume he'll probably make some plays on special teams. Will he make the roster? There's a good chance he might since he's one of the only, probably one of the only solid corners on the entire roster, honestly. Um, right, so, right. you know, the whole defensive draft for Carolina 
I think they really needed to focus on defense during that draft for the most part. And I wouldn't be surprised for 2021 if they focused on the offensive side of the ball for the most part. And maybe they go full offense next year. Like, you get your pieces for defense this year. Then you go out and get your young pieces for offense next year. But, we, we of course, we're still several months out from April, late April, the 2021 NFL draft and there's still a whole season to be played if it's played. So we just don't know at this point, but overall I really like what Carolina did and people are saying, Whoa, this is Marty Herney's best draft probably yet. But I'm like, Herney probably had the first pick and then he let Matt rule do the rest. I think that's what happened. I agree. Yeah. yeah I it, think, I think this was a, this was a Matt rule draft. Honestly, I think what, what you saw there, and not to discredit Marty, you know, I, we, we've had some criticism on him and a lot of it's valid. You know, he's been here for a long time and the track record hasn't been what I would consider to be, you know, as progressive as we would like to see in terms of analytics, in terms of wins. But this draft felt like, OK, you know, I'm getting my guy with Derek Brown one. Marty, uh, thank you. Now let Matt take the wheel from here. And he and Phil Snow just went to town and, and got the guys they wanted. But uh not in the room. I don't know that for sure. That's just the buzz I'm hearing. Yeah, like us analysts and fans, like we don't know what's going on. We can only give our best um, viewpoints and opinions on the matter um, from free agency, the draft, all that, coaching staffs, what everyone's thinking, you know. And, you know, what is Marty Herney going to be around longer who knows? I don't think he's going to be around much longer, but you never know with David Tepper, honestly. Um, I mean, I wouldn't mind Matt Rule being the guy to call the shots during the NFL draft in the next couple of years. I mean, I don't mind that. But again, we still don't know what these rookies are going to do this year, next year, and the years after that. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just add to that, too, that uh, we had Jordan Rodriguez on our show a couple of weeks ago. And Jordan, who is about as close to this as you can get without being on the team or, or on the payroll, uh, her, her take on it was, you know, Marty just wants to scout. He wants to get back on the road and do what he feels like he does best is, is just hit the trail. You know, press the flesh, get out there and meet other scouts, meet other college guys and uh, and evaluate. And, you know, right, wrong and different. That's probably what he'll end up doing at some point uh, if he stays with the organization. And, uh, you know, they just hired a guy from from the Eagles that goes way back with Matt Rule and they've got a new capologist. And I think they're starting to fill out some pieces in the front office that that could eventually, you know, lead to uh, an eventual replacement in title for what Marty does now. So I, I would just see, you know, I agree with you on that. I think what, what Marty will end up doing looks far different than what he's been doing for a long time. I agree. Um, now to bring up um, another question I wanted to bring up was, what do you expect from Brian Burns entering year two of his young NFL career? Um, last year we saw him, um, show off great potential of being a really good pass rusher for Carolina early in the season. But then he um, had a wrist injury, and he was basically put in the Ron Rivera doghouse, as Panther fans know what that is. Um, and 
he basically was he ended up becoming the team's best gunner and maybe one of the league's best gunner. And I'm like, you know, why do you have to play him at gunner when you can let him be a impactful pass rusher um on defense? But that's neither here or there. I like I don't know what Rivera was thinking, honestly, but I wanna know your thoughts on what Brian Burns can bring to the table this year. Oh, I think he'll be exceptional. Uh, guys, I, I, I look at some of the tape from last year. and I was at camp last year covering uh, his first go of it every day in and, and the, the blazing heat right here in Spartanburg. And uh seems like it was just yesterday we were looking. I posted some stuff earlier of his first camp, and he was being triple teamed. They couldn't they couldn't hold him down. And there was one rep that I saw, the first reps I saw. And I honestly don't know who the left tackle was. I don't want to say it was Little. Yeah, I think it was Little's backup. But he literally just threw him to the ground. Uh, on one of his first reps, he's got tremendous power. Um, and obviously he's got the quick moves, the speed. I think the injury did set him back. And one thing they talked about today on this Zoom call with Brian was, you know, he mentioned himself the fact he's put 15 pounds back on and wants to play around that weight because he was challenged last year after the wrist injury. He couldn't work out. He couldn't lift. He couldn't put the weight back on. So that came down. And obviously, you know, his reps came down as a result. Now, was that a doghouse situation? I have no idea. You know, I don't doubt that, you know, Ron wanted to play him more. And I don't doubt Ron wanted to win. But Ron put him in some interesting situations, to say the least. When you ended up with, you know, more special teams reps and defensive reps in a game, uh, you scratch your head. Because either way, you have your liability to get hurt. Um, yeah, I, I, I think what he brings, he can stay on the field all three downs. You know, we're not looking at, you know, a, a guy that's a situational pass rusher. Phil Snow has said as much, you know, that this is a guy they plan on having the field all the time. And uh, he can have his hand in the dirt. He can line up in a four-down, you know, set and rush the edge. Uh, he can play standing up in a 34 or a 3-3-5 three, three, type of look. Uh, I think he'll be all over the field, other than safety or corner. Anywhere in that box, you're going to see him all over the field. Carolina played what's called a NASCAR package a lot last year, which Paris Hill brought with him from New York. And uh, you end up with three edge, quick end players on the line, and you got one defensive tackle as a speed package. And I saw Burns inside a couple times there on some twists and stunts. He'll do a lot, and I think he can play the run effectively. You know, he's basically Bruce Irvin's size. You know, he's a Bruce Irvin build. And I think he's got the ability to play a similar type game, which is a three-down game. So, I'm expecting great things from the guy, and I'm excited. He was the player of the month defensively last June, September. He was off to a hot start, uh, blocked two punts, which I think he could still play on punt teams, just not gunner. And get him in there where he can actually make an impact and block some damn punts. That's a value piece right there. Um, but I expect big things from him, provided he stays healthy. Yeah, I agree. And when – when I watched Brian Burns' college tape and just watching his tape from last year during his rookie year, you can tell he's got all the potential in the world to be a extremely good pass rusher. He has the football IQ. He has the pass rush vision. Um, he's still developing in a way as, like, with his moves, counters. Um, but overall, he he's a phenomenal pass rusher. In run support, I think he was – I think because of his size, he wasn't that great, and he wasn't able to shed, shed block his, blocks as well. But like you mentioned, 
for someone his size, for someone like I wouldn't say skinny, more like smallish for a pass rusher, he he has the length, he has the power. And not a lot of people realize he has some pretty good power. And during the 2019 draft process, Burns ended up being tied as my number one pass rusher with Nick Boza. He is that good. He can be that good of a pass Mm -hmm. rusher. Just needs the opportunity. And with Bill Snow and Bill Snow saying, like, he's going to be more of a three-down guy now more than ever, I'm like, you play him off-ball linebacker. You play him, like you said, um, three, four, um, stand up off the edge, twist and stuns, hand in the dirt. You know, he can do so many things. He can drop into coverage um, with his hand in the dirt. Like, if you want to, like, he can – he has the athleticism, the smarts, the talent to be a very good pass rusher in the NFL. And he he'll probably be – Hopefully, if he continues a positive trajectory, I think one day we'll consider Brian Burns as one of the best Panther defensive players, hopefully, um, we've ever seen. So that's my hope for Brian Burns in the future, hopefully for 2020. I'm going to say the over-under for sacks this year for Brian Burns is 10 sacks because, like, if he had played more snaps, I I think he would have absolutely had ten sacks um, during his rookie year, and he probably would have challenged for defensive player of the, or defensive rookie of the year. So that's mm-hmm. my hope for Ryan Burns this or this upcoming season. So um, another thing I wanted to ask you, John, um, was what do you expect from the 2020 Carolina Panthers? And I know we touched up on this a little bit earlier, but do you think they'll, do you think they'll be like the Miami Dolphins from last year where they were like, they started off slow, but they were competitive. And then as the year went on, they started winning football games and they were, and they finished the year with a winning record and still end up having a top five pick. So I want to know your thoughts or what do you expect from the 2020 Carolina Panthers? I expect them to be a lot better than most people think. Um, re- Record-wise, you know, I, I don't know yet. I, I probably won't even get into that until we get to, uh, right before week one because there's just so many variables here in terms of COVID and who might opt out, who might stay. I mean, who could test positive? There's just the, there's so many unknowns here. Um, but as they stand now, as the roster stand now, you, you got to look at it game by game, situation by situation. Okay, they open up with Oakland. At home, or I'm sorry, Las Vegas. I'm still getting used to that. Okay, good, good roster, good team. Is 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 Las Vegas that much better than what Carolina has to offer? On paper, I don't think so. Uh, now, defensively, I know there's some concerns. How's Carolina going to stop anybody? You know, I think they'll stem that tide. They'll they'll gel. They've got some vets. They've got Shaq Thompson. They've got Burns, as we mentioned. KK Short. Uh, Gosh, they've got some good Derek Brown up front. They have a very solid front four and front seven. Uh, Tier Whitehead is a more than capable run defender. Coverage, uh, at times he struggles. Yeah, that's going to be an uphill battle. Uh, And I do love Trey Boston back there as a free safety. Now, the corners, I mean, that's going to be tough sledding. But, you know, again, looking at it game by game, I think they've got a chance to compete a lot more than Miami did early in the year because offensively, they have a very good system in place. Teddy's familiar with it, so he doesn't need that much time to ramp into it. And you've got so many good 
dynamic skill players at your disposal, not to mention Robbie Anderson. You have a vertical threat now that can run the nines. You've got Curtis who can play comfortably within his, you know, comfort zone, slot outside, maybe a little bit of running back splash of that because he's got that experience. DJ Moore, who I love, if he can just sharpen up that route running a little bit, he is a fearless wide receiver who loves contact. And Ian Thomas, you know, if he can get some reps and start to grow a little bit, that's solid. The offensive line needs to stay together. They're not a bad unit on paper. They're not. If they can have some continuity there and stay together, you know, wins. I don't know. I, I, I don't think this is one of the worst teams in the league right now on paper. I just don't. And that's not me being a homer. I'd tell you right away. Now, if Cam was still here, um, would my analysis change much? Well, not if they gutted the defense like they did. You know, every quarterback's going to have a hard time putting up 30 points a game, which is almost what they're going to have to do to have a winning record this year. Now, can they pull it off? Anything's possible. Um, I'm not living by the code of, okay, how bad can they be to get Trevor? I, I don't care about any of that. I don't. I, I Fans do. I get that. And hopefully for their sake, Carolina will win enough games to look good, but lose enough to give them what they want. But there are no guarantees with that. Um, but I, I don't know about wins and losses. I think the key here is in the division. They've been so bad within the division for so long, guys. You got to mark your territory in that division again. You got to beat Atlanta, maybe twice. You know, go get go get the Falcons first because they're the easiest in three. You know, squeak one out against Tampa, maybe. Squeak one out against New Orleans. Put put together at least a 500 record in that division. Build some confidence within your rivals. That would be a big win for Carolina year one, I think. Yeah, I. You know when. When talking with fans about the team for this upcoming season and also what they expect in terms of draft position, you know, we know that fans are like, they're looking ahead. They'd like to look ahead. They want the flashy young quarterbacks like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Trey Lance, you know, but, you know, nothing is guaranteed. And like you said, I agree with you about on paper. This team is better than some people would think. Now, honestly, like, well, recently I've had a change of heart with their record. I think they were around like the 4, 4 and 12, 6 and 10, maybe 7 and 9 range. But like, you know, it's going to be because with, we don't know who's going to opt out and having to learn a new defense, a learn, learn a new offense, like just, and having a new coaching staff, I think it's just going to be, it's going to be tough for Carolina to really, um, really just pull off any big surprising wins. Hopefully they do. I think they have the potential to do so. I think they have the potential to be a top five or have at least a top 10 pick, but it would not surprise me one bit if they end up, ended up with one of the top three picks in the draft or they were just bad enough to end up with the first overall pick and they do get um, Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. But, you know, again, the draft is se- several months away. We don't know if we're going to have a college football season. We don't know if Trevor Lawrence is going to even – yeah. play this year we right. don't know what we don't know what what's going to happen here in the next month we don't know we don't even know if there's going to be an nfl season because right. with the COVID 19 pandemic there's so much unknown but my feeling right now is they'll probably end up with a top five draft pick 
either that either either it's being the number one pick or the fifth overall pick. You know, my expectations for them right now are somewhere in between like mid to low range. I don't have like for some players I do have high expectations. I think Haywan Short will return to form as being a um as a top tier um defensive tackle in the NFL. Um, I think Brian Burns will have a great year. I think DJ Moore will break out again and be, and make himself a true receiver one in an NFL offense. I think Curtis Samuel can break out and get a second contract. I think Taylor Motok can have a good year and have a second contract. But if that defense doesn't play well, which honestly I don't expect them to really do well, despite what they have on paper, like, it's really tough for me to see them winning more than five games. And when Devin, when Devin and I were doing the um, schedule predictions, we he had the Panthers going five and eleven, and that kind of shocked me a little bit because I'm like, I don't like the corners, even though I like Dante Jackson. I just don't like the corners they have right now. Eli Apple's okay. Troy Pride's going to have a big learning curve, um, and then. Like, yeah, their front seven looks really solid. But then you got to think about the number three linebacker with Tahari Whitehead and Jack Thompson, who's going to be your nickel. How is uh, Jeremy Chan going to do as a starter? Like, there's so many question marks on this team. Like, I I feel like I need to keep my expectations low for the Panthers because, you know, if they end up doing well this year, great. They they have yeah. the potential to be really good over the next few years if they live up to their potential. But right now, sure. I'm just going to keep my expectations low with this team. I think they'll end up with a top five pick. But again, there's so much unknown over these next few months, over, the, over these next several months. We just don't know. You never know. And like you said, injuries play a huge hand in this every year, not mm-hmm. just for your team, but for other teams. I mean, look what happened to Atlanta with Keanu O'Neill. They get him back this year, but their season was blown to shreds when they lost him last year. Everything changed. They're two years running now where they've lost him. Their, their defense completely fell apart, and all it took was that one injury. And had that not happened, who knows? So, I mean, again, it's about continuity. And you're right, if they can stay healthy along the front five offensively and they can put together a pretty dynamic uh, you know, output there, I'm not talking 35 points a game, but if they can be a top five offense, top seven offense, maybe they can at least compete. And that's why I say it might look different than than years past from from when you've had Carolina or other teams win two or three games. They may only win two or three or four or five games. But, uh, you know, I think back to like the uh, the 99 Panthers come to mind. That was an eight and eight season. Uh, They started two and six, I believe. And, you know, much different era. I get it. Steve Berline was the quarterback. But they uh, finished 6-2. and two. They almost ran the table to make the playoffs because the defense finally came together. Their defense was horrible. It was horrible. They had nothing. And the offense was putting out, you know, 28, 29, 30 points a game. And I keep thinking that would be a nice, a nice way to look at this season, you know. I, <laughs> to me, that's not a loss. If they finish 7-9, 6-10, even 8-8, eight and, eight, and they get 15th, 16th draft position, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about this coach and this staff setting in the right culture year one and coming in and establishing a tempo for years to come. Now, a lot of people don't believe in that. That's fine. But history has shown if you come in and you just shit the bed year one, 
sorry for my English there. <laughs> if, you, if you totally crap the bed year one, uh, it's, a, it's an uphill climb to get the veterans you have to buy into that moving forward. And they have some veterans they want to make part of that thing moving forward. So um, I almost think they're a little too good to be that bad at this point. But we'll have to see. You're right. There's a lot of unknowns. Exactly. And like some people are going to say they're going to be skeptical because of the coaching staff, because it's a brand new coaching staff. Like even some some of the people that end up staying with Carolina, they're coaching different positions now. Like, yeah, it it's going to be a very interesting season. And I think this will be a whatever happens. This is going to be a big year for Carolina in terms in terms of their future. Whatever happens, they could end up their their winning ways could return sooner rather than later, or their or their winning ways will happen later rather than sooner. So again, we just don't know. Um, you know, I think the Carolina Panthers they might be one of the more interesting football teams in the entire league just because of all the unknowns. But a lot there's stuff to be excited about. And also Teddy Bridgewater's story um, from potentially being Minnesota's franchise quarterback, then hurting his knee, then coming back from that injured knee, then um, getting traded to, or yeah, getting, or yeah, getting signed by the Jets, then getting traded to New Orleans. And then he ends up, coming in for Drew Brees while he was hurt and plays well, you know, a lot of excitement, a lot of unknowns. I mean, Carolina Panthers are going to be a very interesting team no matter what. John, it, it was a pleasure to have you on. We hope to have you on sooner rather than later. Um, hopefully maybe during the season, maybe halfway when we know more about the Panthers um, and the NFL overall as a whole. Um, so thank you again for joining us here on the driving up podcast. No problem guys. Enjoyed it as always. And, uh, let's do this again soon, man. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Guys, it was a pleasure to have you on and listening to the driving up podcast. I'm Jared Feinberg, Devin Jackson alongside with me and our guest, John Ellis. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.